There's no doubt that small businesses are the foundation of our communities. That's why MasterCard has invested in tools to support small business owners as they grow their business. With MasterCard tools and resources, you can increase sales by shortening checkout time, broadening your customer base, and tapping into new opportunities to increase customer loyalty. So get started. Discover all the ways MasterCard can help guide, grow, and protect your business at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. At Scotiabank, we know how important thriving businesses are for the strength of our economy. Our team of experienced advisors across the country can provide you with tailored advice, leading products, and valuable resources to help achieve all your financial goals. We're here for every future. Let's get started today. Visit us at scotiabank.com slash smallbusiness. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, where we talk to Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Rick Spence, and as a business journalist, editor, and entrepreneur, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, successful, and scalable. Join me every Tuesday at 10 a.m. ET to hear news stories of Canadian entrepreneurs and learn about the moments that mattered most on their journeys. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Susie York. Susie York is on a mission to bring healthy fats back. A mom of four kids and an 11-time Ironman competitor, Susie spent years adhering to a low-fat diet only for her health to hit a wall in her mid-40s. After reading a book called The Big Fat Surprise by science journalist Nina Teicholz, Susie shifted to a high-fat, low-carb diet and started to feel better within a few weeks. While she loved her new good fats lifestyle, which includes monounsaturated and polyunsaturated fats, Susie had a hard time finding tasty, convenient, and good fat snacks. Sensing a gap in the marketplace in 2017, Susie started Love Good Fats, a company that produces low-sugar foods loaded with good fats. Susie led the launch and expansion of Love Good Fats with sales through big retailers across Canada and the U.S. As a 25-year veteran of the consumer packaged goods sector, Susie has worked at brand-building companies such as Procter & Gamble, PepsiCo, and Weight Watchers. Her bigger mission, to spread the word that fat is back and sugar is out. Susie has been recognized several times since launching Love Good Fats, including winning the number one spot on the Globe and Mail's 2021 Top Growing Companies in Canada list with three-year revenue growth of 19,200%. She's also won the Women of Inspiration 2021 Special Recognition Entrepreneur Award. Susie, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me, Rick. I'm so excited to be here. I'm much looking forward to this, and I adore Startup Canada, so I'm thrilled to be able to contribute a little bit. Well, thank you so much, and we love talking to to, to, to companies like yours that get a fast start, and who knows where they're going to go. So, so, so let's jump into it. But before we, we go into your story, um, what we like to do here is ask you the key question 
to make sure that our very busy entrepreneurial audience sticks around for the whole podcast. What's the top piece of advice or insight that you hope that our listeners will take away from our conversation today? The top advice is uh, when you know you have an idea, just start. Just uh, just put your put the steps in place so that you know you're committing yourself and start. There's uh, too much, uh, too many times uh, you hesitate to kind of kind of go out there and put your idea out in the market and put yourself out and trust your gut. Just start. And I, I copied this advice from a few other seasoned entrepreneurs, so it's definitely repurposed advice. What was the first thing you did when you started, when you just started? Well, for me, I was a, a nervous starter because it took me 35 years to actually have the courage and run out of all the excuses I had to not just start. So I'm, you know, I'm a very late bloomer. I have a, a 20, 25 year background in consumer packaged goods as a marketing executive before I, I, I kind of felt I was in a situation where I had the three checklists that, you know, I kind of held for myself that I needed one, the money two the idea and three, the time. So, uh, but then I got to a point where, uh, in, at, at age 50 and in 2016, and I, I, I kind of knew for 35 years, one day I want to start my company, one day I want to start my company. And then I just kind of woke up one morning. I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, I'm out of the barriers are out of the way because I have the three. So now let's go. Let's, you know, let, let's get, let's get, um, let's get some funding. Let's uh, get, well, let's get packaging. Let's get products. Let's get funding. Let's get a board. Let's go. Let's go see Whole Foods. <laughs> let's go to the stores. Let's go. So, uh, so, you know, it took maybe a little while. Uh, many of the entrepreneurs have their ideas uh, really early on. Um, so they don't have to wait this long. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm I'm delighted to talk to a late bloomer because I think most of us in life are late bloomers, and you know while we love uh, you know the, the 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 really ambitious kids who start businesses in their early twenties or sometimes even before, um, you know the, uh, older entrepreneurs have a lot to bring to business and and maybe they've learned a few things along the way that give them a bit of an edge going forward. So, what do you think you learned in your career? What what We'll get to the company and the products in a minute, but just while we're talking about this late bloomer stuff, what are some of the things you think that you learned uh, through your 25-year business career before that that, you know, put you in good shape to start start your own business? Yeah, for me, I was very fortunate. Um, I'm kind of a, a unique left brain, right brain uh, engineering, electrical engineering degree from McGill and then a, a career in business in marketing, consumer packaged goods marketing. So I, I kind of have um, the benefit of having learned at some of the largest and the best multinationals in the world that teach you how to build brands and then challenge you to, you know, profitably build, profitably build their brands. So, you know, that's kind of now in my DNA. Like I've done that repeatedly on now hundreds of brands. I've launched thousands of innovations 
at the consumer packaged goods and I kind of learned the approach uh, to do, you know, the consumer qualification, the concept research, the insights and how to go about fixing the problems that the brands may have or coming up with new brand ideas. So I kind of live that life. But the additional thing that I that I think you need to have when you start a company is you need to have that entrepreneurial uh, DNA and you have to be scrappy. You have to know what bootstrapping is. You kind of want want to be living in the stores. You know, it's just a very different DNA to be an executive at the large consumer packaged goods or uh, a founder and you know executive at your startup company. Like it, it's it's very different persona. It's different culture. It's a different mindset. And there are not a lot of us out there that have done both. If you kind of have that knack where you've known that, you know, for me, I was an intrapreneur throughout my career. So people who worked with me knew I kind of had this bucking energy that, you know, I kind of always was coming up with the big ideas and change things and change agent. Um, so if you, you know, if, you're kind of of that type of entrepreneur in the large organizations. It's probably a good sign that you, you know, you kind of have that DNA of becoming a really, you know, a really passionate and successful entrepreneur. Fantastic. Listen, I always find when I'm listening to podcasts, you know, sometimes I get the munchies and I think, boy, I wish I had a good, healthy, high protein snack available. Tell me about a couple of your products because they look so good. Well, the bars are incredibly good and they're healthy and they're good for you. And I think that was the magic when I launched in September 2017. And within six weeks, we were the number one selling bar at the dozen or so natural health food stores here in Ontario that carried them right away. And, and that was shocking because in, in the bar world, protein bars, energy bar, nutritional bars, there's, you know, most natural health food stores carry hundreds of brands and more than that skews. So uh, individual, you know, flavors and stuff. So there is something really unique about the bar. They're, uh, as the name, you know, love good fats, they're, they're loaded with good fats and we're not shy to kind of scream that from the rooftop. They're moderate protein, so a pretty good amount that's filling, 9 to 10 grams per, per small portion of the bar. And then there's just really good fiber and the right fiber and the right, uh, the right ratios so that the combination of, you know, the good fats and the fiber and the protein all come together to give a truffle-like texture. So you bite into the bar. The peanut butter chocolate tastes like a peanut butter cup, but it has only one gram of sugar. The others, the mint, the coconut, it's like a truffle. You just bite into it and you're like, oh my goodness, that is so melt in your mouth, creamy soft, which is very, very different than the huge market of protein bars, which tend to be harder. Um, and a different bike bite texture. And then as we all know, you know, fats interact in, uh, in with, in a sensory sense when it fats kind of are in your mouth and the, 
the, there's the heat and the interaction with the uh, with the mouthfeel. Like it just provides, you know, there's a reason we all adore fats, um, physically and emotionally, uh, and uh, and uh, and all of the kind of dynamics that happen when you just eat you know, really delicious, you know, high fat foods. And that all kind of happens with now being able to have foods that have good fats, but they're just low in the sugar, which has been the culprit all along. That's fantastic. Now, if people really are hungry and they want to put us on a pause, um, I understand that, you know, your, your products are on sale, you're in Walmarts, you're in supermarkets, you're in health food stores, you're all over. We've been very fortunate that uh, I launched in late 2017 and the consumers in the stores that supported us at first, the natural food stores, the consumers were buying up uh, our products at, and creating a uh, incredible amount of velocity. So then the phone kept ringing, you know, the, the Walmarts and Loblaws and Sobeys and Whole Foods and all the natural banners. Um, and, you know, we've been fortunate enough to be in Costco too. So, uh, and, and we have Amazon and we have e-com. So it's, it's certainly, it's certainly easy to get our bars now. And uh, we've, we've been very blessed with a lot of retailer support. There's so much to unpack from that. I mean, I've I've talked to so many entrepreneurs who have so much trouble getting in the shelves of of, of major retail, and you know, it's been just just a few years. And yeah, we're in we're in Costco, we're in Walmart, we're in Loblaws and superstores. What's the key to getting on those shelves? Well, it really comes down to two things, and uh, I, I've had the privilege of, you know, being surrounded by some, you know, icons in the natural space. And, and so I'm again, borrowing a lot of this insight, but the first thing is you have to get on the shelf and to get on the shelf, the natural health industry is so generous, so supportive, so kind, you know, you will find a, a natural banner in North America and Canada and the U S that will support you. So the, um, the that you know that's the first step the second step though is the most important once you're on the shelf uh you really need to turn and if you don't turn if you don't have the strong velocities then you have a problem so by sorry by it, turning you mean you yeah, got to sell out right? sell <laughs> yeah the the lingo is velocities the the you know just sell a lot turn turn your skews a lot on the shelf when that happens it's like it just takes off because it doesn't take long that the buzz just spreads like wildfire when you have a brand that is selling you take that proof of concept that's success at that retailer you know call it a and you present to retailer b and c and d your proof of concept and, and then they want to carry it. You're also then showing up in Nielsen data and IRI data. So then all the other retailers are seeing your velocities and they're like, whoa, what is this brand? I got to I got to get I got to get some of this into my store. So are you telling me Walmart came to you? 
Uh, well, we've had, you know, uh, the, over the last couple of years, we've had every scenario. But I can, t yes, I can tell you that the large retailers have all called um, and and saw us. And, and you know, I, I was active on LinkedIn and I was active on Facebook. So, you know, by the time the, the, the phone rang really, really quickly and we, we moved from just natural to natural and grocery in seven months being on the shelf at Walmart in Canada, eight months, being in Costco, 16 months. So that is insanely fast. And then being in the US in I think 19 months or 22 months, something like that. So we happened to move really, really quick because we were in banners where you know there was Canada and US and then US was like a Canadian. Um, I was also at some trade shows, I was in invited to multiple, uh, the large banners have these innovation shows now for startups. So I was in, invited um, to, to bring, you know, you, you get a little table and you bring some samples and you, 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 you're, you're at the retailer innovation show. Uh, and those are fantastic. They've all been on hiatus for two years now, but really hoping that all kind of comes back because that's been, you know, if you look at all the, the big successful natural brands that have exited in the last two years, uh, many, many of them, if not all of them, we we were at the shows together. You know, like you're you're they're your neighbors. At they have their little white table, and you know they're they're kind of chatting it up. And, and that's just how it starts. And it's not more complicated than that. Right. So take me back to that moment. You're in your first health food store, natural food store. How do you get the bars to turn? What was the secret there? Well, it that you know that magic solution is like every other brand, and the secret sauce is just your your positioning, your product, and your price, the three Ps. So I'm I'm spending a lot of time uh, now, you know, in universities, kind of kind of have I have my presentation deck, I have a, a positioning uh, presentation that I'll post on LinkedIn, but it really just comes back down to. You know, your the USP, the basics we've known for 50 years. You know, what is your brand positioning? What's unique or different about it? How does the product deliver on the positioning promise? And what is your price value equation? And does that work for the promise of the product and the USP? You know, does it all hold together? And the way it comes to life is your packaging. Your packaging brings your positioning to life. So really, you're just fighting on the shelf for first trial, and you're fighting with your packaging that hopefully conveys a meaningful, motivating, differentiated, or unique positioning that uh, that tempts consumers to pick you up, check you out, and put you in their basket. So was there sampling also involved at that stage? Yeah, we launched in 17 and 18. So we were and 19. We were very fortunate to have, you know, a lot of sampling. And then back then, um, the sampling was for bars, you could sample individual pieces. So it was prior to COVID. It's the world has changed now. So instead of, you know, uh, sampling one tenth or one fifth of a bar, now you sample a whole bar. So the economics of sampling have become very, very challenging, but I, I've been, uh, I've spent a, a, a very high disproportionate amount of time standing in, you know, in the fall of 17, I was in every single Whole Foods in Ontario myself, and then, 
you know, my new girlfriend and those were our, our dates. We were doing demos uh, weekend after weekend. I was at every single consumer show that is uh, meaningful in Canada. I flew to all of them. I did uh, retailer store visits uh, where I would go to the retailer, visit most of their big stores, uh, spend time with the staff, and then in addition, put up a little table and then and stand there and do sampling. I flew to Calgary for six months, a couple times a month, because I was in Arlene uh, Dickinson's uh, Venture Park program. And I would bring, you know, my pop-up, I would bring my sampling kit, my apron, my sales sheets, my samples, and I would go to every single store uh, in Calgary within uh, within a taxi ride from, uh, from where I was. So, you know, I just lived in the stores for two and a half years. And then I got a team, and the team lived in the stores too. But... You know, there's nothing like the founder to talk with the staff. And especially in my situation, you know, I was the first brand with the word fats. I was the first brand to say the message, you know, fat is back, sugar's out. We've been misinformed. You know, now you can eat and enjoy good fats. So I think it was really important uh, to have, you know, a lot of founder uh, presence and authenticity. Um, I've certainly earned that badge because I've, you know, I've, I've kind of, I've pounded the streets in my boots and I got the message out. I lived in the stores. I love it. That's, that's how you get close to the customer. Yep. Susie, I've got to ask you when, when you would go into those stores and stand around and, and, and be the, 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 the entrepreneur, that larger than life figure, was that a natural thing for you? Or did you, are you, are you a real people, people person or, you know, is, is that hard for you? Oh, it's certainly hard for me. I'm uh, it might be hard to tell from my energy in my podcast, but I'm I'm a, a big time introvert. I'm uh, on the autism spectrum. I really like to to kind of my my own time. So when I when I, I put myself out there so so much, um, I was uh, you know working hard and and you could call it faking it even a little um, in terms of like you know uh, uh, not faking the energy because that's authentic, but certainly like okay you know uh let's get out there and uh and put myself out there and once i'm out there it, it's a lot of fun but it's certainly uh not my comfort zone that, and that's really interesting i think there's so many entrepreneurs that that, that share that, that those exact characteristics they kind of dread it once they're out there you know they enjoy it and their own natural energy and enthusiasm and their authenticity because you're representing a product you really believe in that 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 comes and carries you forward, but but overcoming that initial dread, I think that's an incredible achievement. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah, it's helped amazing. me grow. It's a win-win. <laughs> you give and you get. Absolutely. Take me back to those first days. Was there a moment when you said, "Hey, I really want something to eat, and I don't want it to be carrot sticks"? Um, how did you come up with the the, the the first product idea and and the idea that that could become a mission. So the first thing I did after reading the book by Nina Teicholz, The Big Fat Surprise, is uh, look for snacks, look for high fat, uh, low carb, low sugar snacks. And uh, I was at the Natural Product Expo and there were none. So I got home, went in the kitchen, opened up Google. And then as soon as you Google high fat snacks, you get fat bombs. And I was like, oh, fat bombs, really easy to make. 
You can make them at home. What is a fat the, bomb? A fat bomb is just a bomb of good fats. It's coconut oil and cocoa butter and uh, no sugar, just a little bit of sweetener. And it kind of all, and then cocoa, and then it all holds together. And it's like a delicious, de delicious dessert. The, the problem is, A, you have to make it. And it's not too hard to make, but B, it, it only lasts, you know, it it's, needs to be refrigerated. So I was like, okay, how do I take all, all these folks looking for good fat, low sugar desserts are making fat bombs. How do I get that on the shelf? Like how do I take a refrigerated homemade fat bomb onto a shelf stable shelf? So that was the challenge next. And did you do this in your kitchen? Did you go to a lab? Did you get some chemists to help you or is this all you? Oh no, for sure. Like, you know, I'm pretty useless in the kitchen, but I was still able to make fat bombs. And then I said, okay, well now we need, cause I, you know, my, with my background and no, and I'd worked on bars before. So now the task was to find, uh, bring to life a commercially viable, you know, version of a fat bomb. So I had my, my concept, my positioning work that was optimized through the concept. I had my product brief, so you take those two things, you take your product brief and here's, you know, my draft of my packaging and my claims uh, that you, you want, that you think is what the brand's going to, you know, was going to resonate. And, uh, and I'd done research by then. And then you take that to, at first I went to a food lab. It was very difficult back then. I, I went on LinkedIn and I said, help, you know, I need a food lab. And I, there was only kind of two in the US that reach out, only one in Ontario. I had to make a lot of phone calls. And then I, so I picked the one in Ontario, of course, because shipping chocolate across the border is very challenging with the FDA. And then I worked with a food lab for 10 weeks in a row, uh, weekly iterations. Um, and then I took that to the R&D team at a co-packer. That sounds like it's an expensive proposition, having all these professionals on your team. And, and obviously you're very pre-revenue at that stage. Were you able to finance this all yourself? Is this one of the other advantages of being a late bloomer? Yeah, that's one. Of, well, I was single mom at that point. I'd been single mom for 10 years. I'd managed to hold on to my house. I had, you know, still had a mortgage, still have, you know, had two kids to get through university. So um, I certainly, you know, didn't have, uh, didn't have the funds to entirely launch by myself, but I certainly had the funds to kind of go quite a way to kind of move it forward but i am very scrappy and 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 cheap and in, in the sense that i've uh i've i i'm i'm a kind of a i have a lot of the tools from the research perspective and the marketing perspective that i don't need to spend hundreds of thousands in research and branding and agencies you know i use no agencies because i'm you know i'm 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 a, I'm a marketer so i was able to do all of the work that a lot of entrepreneurs need agencies to do, I was able to do that very cost effectively with, you know, graphic designer and do all the research myself because that's what I had been doing for five years, you know, consulting prior. So I, uh, uh, it's definitely a mini shoestring budget versus a lot of my fellow entrepreneurs now that have launched and you know partner with agencies so but it's still you know you still have to put your time and your money i i walked away from all my my income so that you know uh, it, it was certainly a couple hundred thousand dollars of investment up front um pre-money pre uh to get the concept the product um in a place that uh i was i went to raise money i did my first angel round you mentioned Arlene Dickinson. Did she have a role in financing the company? 
Uh, well, Arlene and I are, you know, I have a, a lot of uh, res respect for Arlene and what she's doing with Venture Park and uh, would have loved to, you know, have her have her on board. We we haven't uh, we haven't yet partners. Never say never. Um, uh, but we uh, you know, I was very fortunate I, I, and I was part of her district ventures boot, boot camp innovation uh, incubator. So I gained a lot from that. And then I did five angel rounds. So I have a lot of angel investors that have helped along the way in the first set, the first four years, really. Wow. Five angel rounds. I think that's that that's four more angel rounds than most people expect to do in today's, you know, fairly uh, rigid startup culture. Um, did you expect it would take that many? No. And, you know, a couple of years ago, I had a lot of advice also. And the one piece of advice I would say is that, you know, a lot of the advice doesn't necessarily apply. So, um, you, you know, we, I was told uh, dozens of times you can't do, you know, more angel rounds. You need a year between angel rounds. And there was all kind of these rules and stuff. But, but you know, we were we were the number one, number two turning skews in the category. The category was exploding. Uh, we were everywhere we were getting listed from larger and larger banners were selling and, you know, being a top performing brand and skew. So, you know, the it kind of made sense for us that um, we launched two flavors, two more. So that was round number two and then two more. And that was, you know, round number three and then shakes and then the U.S. and then, you know, Costco. And so it all we had all the building blocks and everything made made sense in terms of how we were scaling. Um, so, you know, you take in advice and uh, you see what kind of makes sense for you and you learn your way. But there's no kind of hard and fast rules. There's just a, a lot of kind of general generalities that may or may not apply. Right, right. Um, I, I love that you're rewriting the rules as you go along. You're, you're in charge. Mm -hmm. you, you, you get to decide how many rounds. Um, in my experience, there's sort of two types of angel investors now. There's the tech bros. They often work together and partner and collaborate, and they know exactly what they're doing. And then there's the old-fashioned angels who are sort of people with some some assets, and a lot of them are, you know, doctors and dentists. And, and, and they're just looking for, you know, really interesting propositions that could give them an, a, a, a nice return. So what type of angel investors did you collect along the way yeah well you you certainly need the the two types there's the third type now that's uh come out in the last couple of years which is the the food and uh angel investors so when i started there was hard there's none of those there's very few food there was a few food vcs but very few and and the world was dominated by the first group that you mentioned the you know, the tech investors and they had, you know, big multipliers on pre-money and in food, you have no multipliers on pre-money. Uh, you know, it's very hard to get pre-money um, in Canada. Uh, so if you're in Canada and you're in food and you're a woman, you know, you're getting a fraction of a fraction of uh, the percentages of the angel money out there. It's it's really hard. You know, the Canada, it's harder than the U.S. Women get a small minority of the funding in North America. So it is not easy to get funding um, if you have your, you know, your proof of concept is selling well on the shelf. You should be able to get funding. 
uh, from the range, uh, I always recommend you stick with your, uh, you know, your group two, I guess, your just classic angels, friends and family, a uh, little bit, you know, uh, financially better, better off, uh, maybe, uh, you know, older folks who have, you know, experience in their career and now they want to give back and they want to fund, you know, that type of investor first in terms of your angels and then uh, move your way down to the VCs and other groups. Right. Do you anticipate more raises going forward? Yeah, well, I, I've stepped out of the day-to-day -day management, so the CEO role of Flip Good Fats uh, back in the fall of 20, uh, 2021. Um, so we're, you know, I'm just on the board right now, and we're kind of working through, uh, you know, the CEO's kind of working through the growth plan and stuff. Uh, we were very fortunate. We had a large raise at the beginning of COVID. We thought COVID was six months, and we raised for the equivalent of four times more than what we had set out to do really so um so we have some runway and and now what we want to figure out is you know uh what the management team is going to figure out is you know what's the what's what's the best way to to kind of grow profitably grow the brand and and uh depending what those strategies are some of the strategies would require funding and and some uh, may not sounds like you're pretty good at actually letting the authority go is life better or are you always itching to jump back in and, and, and do stuff? Oh, well, I'm certainly itching. I'm 55 now. And, you know, five years ago, I started my own brand and at age 50, which I thought was crazy. I kind of took all my life savings, which now I know is, is crazy and risky. Uh, I certainly have the ish to do something else, um, even though for three or four years, uh, last four, three, four years, like never, because, you know, you're in, you're, you're, you're in, you're, you're in at, you know, bootstrapping level, you're writing sales sheets, you're filling out forms, you're, you're, you're presenting to retailers, you know, you're, you're not living a cushy lifestyle, like you're grinding it out at shows. And um, it's not a, it, it's not an envious kind of type of, you know, uh, 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 yeah, I guess cushy role, but I'm really, um, I have in my DNA, the, like the the startup phase and that's my sweet spot i'm helping a lot of brands right now um and i'm going to help more uh in terms of their the, the first zero to 20 million that's kind of my superpower but uh i'm itching to to do my own thing again. so you go through all this again <laughs> i think so yeah i think so Do you have an idea we'll about what you'd like to do Oh, I have a few ideas. Uh, I I know when I'm, uh, you know, if I if I bump into the right enough big big idea with the right enough, um, you know, kind of all the dynamics. I I know the checklist now. I've spent so much time with VCs. I spent so much time, you know, data room and exit checklists. So uh, you just work back from that. So I'm, I'm, I'm working through a few things and then maybe you'll have me back on another podcast where I can promote, uh, I could promote what I'm launching. <laughs> I look forward to that. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to try and follow you and see what you're, what you're looking at. Cause I, I think mm -hmm. you've got your finger on some, on, on, yeah. on the pulse. Follow me on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So you're a graduate of Procter and Gamble, which is a pretty good school. They have their classic five P's of marketing. Um, 
wondering if we can just chat about them. But before we talk about them, there's another P that's very important to you, and it's not part of the classic P and G curriculum, and that's purpose. So what does purpose mean to you and the company? Well, purpose I kind of stumbled onto because I'm I'm just so authentic, you know, the combination of my quirky personality and my passion, you know, just kind of just kind of oozes that like my just authentic self, like you just, you know, the person you're hearing now and seeing is just me. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a lesbian and I'm, uh, am very proud to, you know, to kind of be a role model for that. I'm an older entrepreneur. Um, I'm an Ironman. I'm someone who ate the wrong foods for 20 years and wrecked my body. And, and, you know, so I'm kind of at a point where when I started my own company uh, and I have, you know, two kids and, and two stepkids with my, my, my partner, um, it's important to, to kind of stand for something. I certainly didn't want ever to just have a brand, sell a brand, make money. That's not what this has ever been about. Um, from day one, the decision to take this big risk, I agreed with my kids. The worst thing that happens would move to an apartment. So it was always about, you know, what's the purpose of making a difference? The mission statement has always been, you know, to uh, change how people um, how people eat more good fats, less sugar, and feel good about it uh, from day one. Uh, it's been on my email signature for five years, and um, and you know, I I have a daughter and I it's and a son, and it's really important for me to give back to the LGBT community to show that you know to, to have a loud voice and to kind of uh, be a role model for you you know you 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 can break down some barriers and you have support out there and you have some some kinmanship and um and I pushed very hard to get a national program uh, to support LGBT community in the last three summers and I went to every single retailer across Canada to ask for their support personally. And that made a huge difference across the summer, uh, across the, across the country in the last two summers. That, that's fantastic. Uh, one of the reasons that I've always been such a fan of small business and I devoted my career to small business and entrepreneurship and startups is because of the potential to do so much good that when you get people who are motivated by the right ideals and disciplined by the marketplace, then they can accomplish anything. And, uh, and and so everything that you're doing is fabulous and just um, makes me feel so proud to know that, you know, you're doing this kind of work, uh, you're in it for all the right reasons, and passing on that, that enthusiasm and that sense of personal power and ability to change the world, passing that on to others. Yeah, I agree. Sometimes I feel that like I'm surrounded by so much incredible, authentic, personal, personal leaders right now. Like I'm just, I'm in a world of entrepreneurs. I have about 40 just in, in the short, like in the small circle around me. And sometimes I'm like, wow, like everyone's doing so much more even, right? Like you're just like really kind of heartwarming to see the social causes, uh, giving back to the community, giving back to the planet, uh, new ideas and products and packaging and uh, that really are uh, in sync with either uh, the planet or with the community. So, you know, I'm pushing myself to do more and more and more because uh, I'm inspired by my fellow uh, entrepreneurs around me. Right. Let's get back to those five P's. Can you name them all? 
like boom, boom, boom? Uh, well, we talked about the first three positioning product pricing, and then there's uh, uh, place and uh, and uh, the uh, placement and people. Um, people. So the um, so I learned, you know, this is in I, I have a great deck to for universities or for any kind of companies that want to to kind of do a bit of a deep dive on the basics. But um, it comes back down to what I learned 30 years ago at P&G. I use the same formats, the same positioning brief, the same packaging brief, the same PR brief. I have a digital brief, same concept testing. There's some evolution, of course, and things have gotten easier and faster with online and cheaper with research. But the steps of, you know, stage gate and optimizing your positioning, getting consumer feedback, optimizing it further, getting product test product, product testing, optimizing further, making sure you have a product and uh, package product packaging and positioning fit, making sure you have breakthrough awareness. Uh, uh, equity plans that will bring your positioning to life. So you have ads that will work and bring your positioning to life in the right way. Um, it It's all the same thing. It's the same kind of machine. There's some different execution, you know, whether you use influencers now versus uh, broad scale TV or, um, but the, the, the found the basics are the same in terms of what does your brand stand for? Uh, how does your product deliver? What value equation can you live with, and will that allow you to, you know, be profitable at one point? And then, what tactics do you use to tell the world about it? Can I ask you if you use any influencers? Because I'm just amazed at the way social media now has given individuals who used to be nobodies and may only be 19 years old um, that gives them audiences greater than the average network television program in Canada. So the, uh, yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, we've been very blessed with uh, a lot of uh, influencers came on board. We haven't used paid influencers, really, but uh, the, just the organic influencers. We had keto groups uh, right in the first January. We had one of the largest keto groups in Canada, and they all became uh, really huge fans. And then we had a the group of low-carb physicians in Canada, over 4,000, they became big fans. And those two groups on of influencers on Facebook and Instagram really made a difference with Thomas DeLauer, who is a major influencer, probably the largest keto influencer right now. So he's done tons of videos for us uh, in stores, out of stores. And then Mina, of, of course, the, the, the journalist who wrote Big Fat Surprise, She's a big fan, and then uh, and then pretty much all the, the the physicians at the low and scientists at the low carb uh, events that I've attended, along with with Nina and the rest of uh, you know the scientific uh, community, are are all early adopters, um, and that's been that's been game changer for us. And you mentioned that you reached out uh, to Nina Teicholz, the author of the Big Fat Surprise. Um, how did how did that work? Was she able to? Did, did she respect what you were doing? Did she like what you were doing? Is she? Yeah, okay. she's incredible. Yeah, I read this book, so I was in awe of this woman. She took nine years to write the book. She's a, the scientific genius. She uncovered what hadn't been uncovered for forty years, and went up and and with science, uh, combed through all that and made it clear that 
you know, there was only one piece of research, Ansel Keys, and it was fraught with issues. Uh, Meta studies since then proved against it. And she just put that all out there. So I, I found her on Twitter, sent her a DM, and she replied. And then she said, hey, send me samples. I sent her samples. I was like, oh, my God. And then she DM'd me back, emailed me back. She loved the product. Her two kids love the product. Uh, so I sent her some more bars as we were making new ones. And then, you know, we've met like a dozen of times. Like she's a friend, she's a, our scientific advisor. She's a groundbreaking uh, person. She fought hard uh, up against the FDA to change the, the nutritional guidelines because they're not, you know, in sync with the science today. Um, she's just, just an all around phenomenal trailblazer in the nutrition world. That's amazing. Um, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you're kind of an introvert. Um, do you have to sort of force yourself to do something like say, I, you know, this is an author, this is, she worked for the New York times. Um, you know, <laughs> how easy is it for you to reach out like that? Yeah, like everything, like the last five years, right? Like there's example after example, like sending that email, sending that DM, sending the email to retailers, you know, getting ready to driving to the airport. I'm a nervous wreck, like with traveling, like it just all of that, you know, my, my partner could tell you, like it takes an amount, immense amount of energy for me to kind of just get out there and do this stuff. And, um, you know, but that's like, I, I love so much the message and I really, really am authentic with my message and I really like people. So I, you know, I kind of do it, but I certainly, you know, I preferred, I, I was training for Ironman for, for like 10 of the years in my forties. And it's way easier for me to just get up, have my coffee, go do, you know, a training ride than to do all this stuff. But, uh, you know, like I tell my kids all the time, you know, you don't you don't just spend life doing stuff you like to do. There's stuff that, you know, you just give yourself a little nudge. And, and for me, I, I have to nudge a little bit more maybe than a natural. Fantastic. When you started out, did you expect to achieve this kind of success i mean you're you've got revenues in the in in, in the eight figures here um oh yeah yeah. Um, yeah no we never thought like the board you know i can go back to my board decks from 2016 with the first angel round and then 2000 uh, when the first thing yeah when we were when i was shopping around the first angel and closed at jan first 17 and then 17 rounds the goal was to get you know if you if you're a Canadian startup and you get two million in revenue the first year or the first two years, then you know you have a decent idea because once you hit the two million mark in Canada, then that's like twenty in the U.S. Right? Because we're one one tenth of the size. So twenty is the golden number in the U.S. You you've got it made, you know, and and two you've got it made in the sense that you have enough of a strong brand proposition that it's it's not going to be like one of the 98% of new products launched that fail. So uh, that's all we needed, right? Like, and, you know, kind of have one, two or three employees get to 2 million. I don't have to go back to consulting. I can do this until I retire, like the, you know, the Annie's and Renee's and, you know, all the kind of the founders that have been at it. So that was my goal. But we hit 8 million the first year 
So we knew that it was insane. Like that's like that hasn't happened in uh in years and years and years. So we knew we had something really, really special. But 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 when you started, I mean, you couldn't have conceived of that kind of success, right? right. Nope. No, and you and you probably like you know the advice. The approach I had was very conservative. It, you know, was wasn't missing any forecasts. Uh, was always blowing by the forecasts. And the approach all founders should have is to not be overly aggressive and enthusiastic with your your forecast because you really have to manage the PL and you don't want to be ahead of your skis. You don't want to hire too many people, spend too much more than what the brand can afford. So it's a very delicate dance of put a little bit out there, check the ROI, check the return, learn a bit, get a lot of retailer feedback, which often is so-so at the beginning, right? Like, like it's very rare that, like in our case, every single store you'd walk in, the store owner would be like, those are flying. That's very rare. So it's that dance of, you know, a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more, make a tweak, change the packaging, make another tweak, launch a product, make a lot of tweaks, spend a little bit of marketing, do a bit of sampling, and then learn your way in a delicate, you know, a delicate balance to not spend more than you have. Susie York, it's been great to chat with you about the success of Love Good Fats and the amazing things you've been doing and that you're going to do, which we sort of almost chatted about a little bit. So I, I want to ask you a final question, though. I think that the, the dream of every entrepreneur is to find a successor, someone who can really carry on with the enthusiasm and, 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 and the passion for the product and the marketplace and the customers, and maybe bring maybe a little bit more management skills to it. Uh, maybe not in your case, because you have P, <laughs> P and G in your background, yeah. but, but, but someone who can bring all the passion and the business skills to take it to the next level. So just tell me a little bit about how you found your successor as CEO of Love Good Fats. Yeah, it and uh, finding a like succession planning is you know such a big deal uh, across all large companies uh, for sure, medium, family-owned companies, et cetera, et cetera. I think for for us, uh, once we had our VC partner, it kind of made sense, and we were established in a big way in the U.S. Uh, it made sense to to just bring in a, a seasoned CEO who's done this a few times and will kind of lead us. Uh, to exit. So I think it was less about, you know, the personal passion of the founder, uh, because that's really hard to replicate. And I, I don't, you know, of, of all the, uh, of all the examples of, uh, and, and friends and colleagues that have kind of stepped out, uh, the replacement, the, the new CEO will rarely have those type of same qualities because that's just kind of inherent to the, the founder role. Um, but, you know, it's like you you want to you want to kind of find like someone that will kind of carry on, um, carry on the brand and create a legacy. So, you know, we we had a, a board committee and a recruiter and and uh, and, you know, off we went. To to kind of look out there as to you know who would uh, who would do the the best job to carry on the legacy and continue building his brand. Fantastic. Final final question: If one wanted to get started with a life changing journey into the Love Good Fats world, I'm thinking maybe a truffle bar. How would you start? 
Oh, definitely start with the peanut butter chocolate because unless you don't like, you know, peanut butter, it's uh, it's it's the it's one of our best sellers. And then the lemon mousse is our second best seller. If you have mint, we have the best mint bar on the planet. Try them, put them in the fridge or the freezer because the taste is uh, incredibly different. And for the majority of consumers, they prefer them cold. Isn't that amazing? A great summer snack then. You had me at lemon mousse, I got to tell you. So I, mm-hmm. I, I, I think that's the way I'll go. Susie York, thank you so much for sharing uh, this adventure with us. And I wish you tremendous good luck with uh, all the new directions you're looking at. Well, thank you very much. It was a pleasure. All right. We will talk again. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Startup Canada podcast. This show is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles, and it's made possible by the support of MasterCard and Scotiabank. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Spence.